Welcome, and thank you for joining with us today for the teaching and preaching ministry from Central Baptist Church in Kannapolis, North Carolina. As associate pastor, Barry Murray shares from the Bible how to live in a fallen world. The goal of Central Baptist Church is to change the world by teaching the Word of God. Come, let's listen in. I want you to turn to Ezekiel chapters 24 to see in Ezekiel chapter 24. And we're going to spend a little time here with Ezekiel and just basically give us a principle to live by this evening. And I hope it'll help us out uh, as we think, see things continue to unfold right in front of us. The scary part to me is how fast it, it is unfolding now compared to what it used to be like. I used to be a preacher would say something, this is going to happen someday, take 50 years for it to happen. Now he says something to worry about happens in five years. And uh, every time the news brings something up, I guarantee you there'll be a law for it in a few years nowadays, right? It used to be years and years. It's just really crazy. But anyhow, I won't get too, too uh, uh, negative today. But how many of you had problems with losing your memory as you get older? I found that out myself. I found myself uh, uh, looking at you sometimes and saying, what is their name again? And uh, I know you owe me money, but I can't remember their name. And, uh, and it's, I find it's, it's getting worse, and uh, I don't know if there's something to take for it. But there's a couple things about this. One thing nice about losing your memory is you're always making new friends. <laughs> always getting new friends. Second thing about that is every joke you hear is new, even though you heard it over and over again. Right? And the third thing I can't remember, so let's go on with the message. All right? So let's stand on our feet and read a few verses here. Ezekiel chapter 24. Just a few words here. We'll get in Ezekiel's life here. Something tragedy that happened to him. And I want to just basically give us a principle we can live by. Look at verse number 15 of Ezekiel chapter 24. Also the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, behold, I take away from thee the desire of thy eyes with a stroke. Here he's talking about his wife. Yet neither shalt thou mourn nor weep, neither shall thy tears run down. Forbear to cry, make no mourning for the dead. Bind the tire, that tire there meaning, meaning being weak or fatigued, of thy head upon thee. And put, thy, put on thy shoes upon thy feet, and cover not the, thy lips, and eat not the bread of men. So I spake unto the people, now Ezekiel speaking. I spake unto the people in the morning, and in the evening my wife died. And I did in the morning as I was commanded. That's a powerful statement there. And the people said unto me, Wilt thou not tell us what things are to, be to us that thou doest so? Thank you, Lord, so much for the word of God this evening you've given to us. And Lord, you know my desire is to help all of us and encourage us to keep on hanging in there. We're in the midst of a battle and a fight and we see the enemy coming and approaching. We see he has weapons that we're not sure about. We're not sure we can defeat them. We're not sure we can stand against them. But, Lord, may we stand strong in the day in which we live as believers, as followers of Christ. Bless now the message. Give us a listening ear and a listening heart. In your name I pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Talking here, of course, about Ezekiel. And some of you may know the story about him or not know the story about him. But Ezekiel, in, in this passage, loses his baby. He loses his wife. And as you would be, and I would be, what am I going to do? 
Apparently, the prophet had married a, a, long, a lovely young Israel girl, and they loved each other. And as I mentioned already, they both died. His wife uh, uh, died of a stroke-type illness there we read about, and I imagine he had to be heartbroken. But God was very clear to him. And Ezekiel had no, no uh, question about what he was supposed to do. And God basically told him, don't act like you're mourning at all. Now, isn't that strange? Because you know the scripture is very clear about there's a time to mourn and there's a time to cry. It's very clear about uh, we ought to be mourning. In fact, I told my wife that whenever I die, I want her to find the most hot, red hottest evangelist, scary evangelist there is and have him preach my service. I want her to hire mourners to come mourn for me because I know the family probably won't. And I want it just to be the most sad, sobering, somber, boo-hooing moment ever when I pass away. And she knows I'm totally kidding about that because she knows that's how I am. But that's what I told Did I tell you that? Yeah, I did tell you that. All right. Uh, many times. It's in my will, by the way. But anyhow. But God tells Ezekiel, don't act like you're mourning. And the people didn't understand Ezekiel's actions. The people came to him and said, what does this mean? Your wife and your baby are gone, and you're not mourning at all. And basically they're saying is, what kind of man are you? What kind of man are you? And all of this Ezekiel is doing is doing to trying to get his message through the people because we know there is a coming doom to the city. The city is going to be destroyed, and the city was destroyed. And Ezekiel was trying to warn the people. Was really, Ezekiel is a very interesting prophet. You study and read about him. He was a, a prophet who was speaking about what's going to happen. And then after it happened, he became a prophet who spoke about the hope of what could happen in the future. But I think the key verse probably to the book of Ezekiel is, is 24, 24, where it talks about uh, that they shall know I am the Lord God. I think Ezekiel's parenting these people, I want you to know something. I want you to know that the Lord, he is God, no matter what happens around us, no matter what happens to your family, no matter what happens to your loved ones, I want you to know that the Lord, he is God, and destruction is coming. And the people weren't listening, of course. We've, we've talked about that. You've heard about that before. And, and uh, uh, should he have been mourning? Should he not been mourning? God said, don't be mourning. Uh, warn them again of what's going to happen. And the people, which my thought was, I was uh, reading this passage over and over again a few weeks ago, is that uh, what kind of man are you? The amazing thing to me, though, is that the people were only concerned about what this meant to them and not to Ezekiel. He's the one that lost his wife and his son, not them. And they're like, what's this mean to us? Showing our selfishness. It's all about me, isn't it? And uh, what I may have. But Ezekiel, what kind of man are you? Ezekiel, are you the kind of man like Joseph? Joseph, who was his father's favorite son? And we know that story of Joseph, I've been uh, teaching on Wednesday night when, it's been, uh, when I need to get up for Pastor Dean and fill in. I've been going through Joseph's life and been talking about that, so some of you are, are aware of all that. 
But isn't it amazing how God took this teenager who was his father's favorite son and put him in the place of being the second in command of Egypt, the country that God was going to use to feed the world through Joseph. Are you a man like Joseph, Ezekiel? Are you a man that are willing to be ridiculed by your brothers, be thrown in the pit, be slaved by your brothers, and then bought as a slave in Egypt, and then have Mrs. Potiphar chase you and falsely accuse you, and you get thrown back in prison, locked up again, and you interpret dreams for the butler and for the baker, and uh, they forget all about you. Oh, well, at least the uh, butler did. The baker didn't have a head. So anyhow, and they forget all about you. Are you that kind of man? Ezekiel, are you a man like Moses? A man God has chosen, and God was going to use him to preserve and save his people and move them out of the land of Egypt down the road. From the day he was born, he faced troubles. Can you imagine sending your baby boy down the river? Hopefully, that God would spare his life. And he made some mistakes. It took 80 years for him to finally get things together, and God was ready to use him. But when he was ready to use him, God used him to stand in front of the leader of Egypt and demand that we be let go. You know about the plagues and all the things that happened there. I couldn't imagine uh, Moses keep going back to Pharaoh after all these things that had happened to them in Egypt. And then finally, after the firstborn were all killed, go back again. That'd be scary. But Ezekiel, are you a man like Moses? I think of the battles of a Joshua. I think of the battles of a Gideon and Jephthah. I'm trying to just give you a little illustration here. Tonight's message is more of illustration-wise, and it's going to be uh, uh, contextual, if you would. Think of a man like Gideon and Jephthah, if you would, who judged and led these people. Think of a man like David, all oh, my word, a man like David. Study David's life. What a wonderful man David was. But David was a sinner. David had somebody killed because of his sin. But yet God still says, as we know, he was a man after God's own heart. This is the kind of man Ezekiel was. Uh, when we think of the prophets who, whose heart were burdened for the people and, uh, and the people just didn't care and they kept preaching. Boy, how I love the man Daniel. Daniel, who faced some trials, and I love the fact that in Daniel chapter 1 where it talks about he purposed in his heart. Boy, how we need people who will purpose in their heart not to defile themselves with the king's meat. That's the kind of man Ezekiel was. Someone who chose not to defile himself. Someone who chose what he's going to do. Oh, I think about Jesus Christ himself. He came unto his own, and his own refused him. And he was their savior. He was going to deliver them from their sin. And yet they put him on the cross and they crucified him. This is the kind of man Ezekiel is. That's what I'm getting to. Think about the disciples who were trained by Jesus. And I won't go through all, all their ministries and all how they were uh, killed uh, for the cause of Christ. And, uh, and uh, just an amazing story if you look in history. And then Paul, the apostle Paul, man alive. What a transformation in a life. In the life of Paul. As you read through Paul's life, it's just amazing what God did through him and uh, some, all the things that he did there. But what is this one thing, and I tried to grab as I was thinking of this thought, what is it about these human people? And it could be ladies just as much, I could have mentioned many ladies in Scripture, 
Well, what is it about these people and Ezekiel who loses his wife and loses his son and he got up in the morning dead as he was commanded? What is it about these people that I can learn and I can grab a hold of and I can put in my life so I don't become a castaway? What is it? Simple truth. You're going to remember it. I made up my mind. I've made up my mind that I'm just going to keep serving God. I made up my mind. That's what's different about all these people we see in Scripture. They had sin. They had problems. They committed some horrible sins, if you would, by the way, and uh, some of them. And yet God still used them all the way through their life. Why? Because they made up their mind about some things. And I want to speak to us tonight just for a few moments on this thought. I got, I got three points and 25 illustrations. We're going to be here for a while. But I want to talk to us a little bit about, about making up our mind about some things in our lives to help us make it through. Because life is... Uh, going to get harder, I believe, little by little. Number one, and Pastor Dean mentioned this a little bit this morning, I've made up my mind about God and his word. You've got to make up your mind about God and his word because the, God, the word of God has been attacked since the day of the Garden of Eden. Since the Garden of Eden, Satan has been attacking the word of God. It's not going to get any better. I tell you today, there's no greater comfort to me than knowing God, that I get to know and read about the God of the Word of God that He left for me to read and to study. I know there is a God. I know there has to be a God. All this stuff just didn't happen by some big boom, by the way, because booms cause chaos, not, not a, a, a straight, not a planet and all the things we have. Anytime I've seen something destructed, it was a bomb that did it, right? And it's confusing, and there's a mess to clean up. It's amazing that a big bang happened, and here we are, organized. Right? We got, we got atmosphere, and we got air, and we got clouds, and we got rain, and we got all this stuff we have. It's amazing how that happened. That's, that's not what happens from bombs. Never, ever. And if there's, and listen, and then we have today those who just anymore say, well, we're not really sure that there is a God. Well, my question to you is, if you're so sure there isn't a God, why do you spend so much time proving that he's not here? Because if you don't believe there is one, why do you spend time worrying about it? I'm just going to tell you, if there's something I don't believe in, I'm not going to spend much time trying to fuss about it and try to, try to disclaim what it may be. I'm just going to let it go. But these people, and this is the, uh, where we're coming to, and this is uh, scriptural, by the way, the more intelligent we become, the more, the less God, the less God we believe in. Because we believe we have all the answers. I mean, the world is turned into a fireball, according to the media. But in North Carolina, it's been kind of mild this summer compared to normal, isn't it? Am I wrong? I've just got used to it. I mean, it's been more mild this summer than here than it has been. I know it's been hotter places, but I think if Peter talks about it's going to be a fireball one day, so global heating is coming. They're correct about that. But, but my thing is that is you believe that man can control the weather. We have serious problems in our intellectual world. We're like a, a James Bond movie. We're going to destroy the world. Some guy's going to destroy the world. Some evil plot to control the weather. And even though I know there's been studies and things. But anyhow, 
But, but, the, but listen, uh, uh, there has to be a higher, a, a higher power. There had to be someone who planned the world and the universe the way it is. I mean, look at your body. As unhealthy as it is, it still is self-maintaining. You know how to take care of yourself. You know how to feed yourself. You know how to clean yourself. You know how why we have some intelligence or something in the way we're made. And isn't it amazing how uh, you get cut on your hand, it heals. We're self-healing. Now, that didn't happen because some big bang happened. There's a God behind that who made us the way we are. Amen. And I believe in the word of God. I know, uh, I know the body knows what it needs to leave, and you're going to tell me that some explosion out there causes. Listen, we need to settle it, that God is the creator of the earth that we live on. And he is also the sustainer of the earth that we live on. And nothing's going to happen without him knowing about it. I just believe his word. It's, not some, it's just not some controversial thing that people want to make it. It's when you think you're smarter than God is, and I have a sermon about that, when you think you're smarter than God is, we get in serious trouble. We must look at the culture of our time and say, who's asking these questions? Now today is this. Intelligent, supposedly God-fearing people say about the Bible, well, who was that text directed to? Who's that text talking about? We're trying to now redefine the scripture. To me, it's a love letter from Genesis to Revelation, and it's all for me. It may not all be to me, but it's all for me. You with me? There's something in all of it for me. But today it's like, well, which part is for me and which part for somebody else and which part's for there? Listen, I understand it's written to individuals. I understand it's written to the Hebrews. I understand it's written to the church. I understand it's written to the believers. It's written to non-believers. It's for everybody, but it's for me. All of it. I understand some of it's kind of crazy. I get a little lost in Leviticus, to be honest about it. Can't figure all those things out sometimes, why we have to do all that, and, uh, uh, and what we shouldn't eat, and whatever, but that's another story. And I understand the problem today is that some preachers and some teachers have stretched the truth. Some have done it on purpose, and some have done it out of ignorance. And we ought to be weary about that. We ought to be cautious about that. We ought to confirm that with the Bible. But I understand also that we have a responsibility to the Word of God, how it tells us how we ought to live, how we ought to behave, how we ought to act in this old sin-cursed world, how we ought to uh, conduct our lives. And I know we have a hard time with that because once the church starts stepping on people's toes about their life, nowadays we're going to rear up and say, oh, that guy's a dictator. Well, if you want to say that, you're saying the Word of God you have and you say you love is a dictator. Not necessarily some church who's trying to adhere to God and what he has for us. The Corinthians and the epistles were written straight to straighten out things in churches because churches were having trouble. Why do churches have trouble? Because they got people. If you all go home, we'd have no trouble tonight. We'd be good to go. We need to make up our minds about God and His Word. I know we do that here. I know it's kind of a uh, repetitive type comment, but I think the next two will help you out. Number two, I've made up my mind about whom I'm going to serve. I made up my mind. This is the point that I think if you listen to this, it'll help you out. I made up my mind whom 
I'm going to serve. I understand the ministry is people. Do not take me wrong. I've been in a long time. I got in it for the right reasons. I understand the ministry is about people. I understand you serve God by serving man. But there are times people just don't want to be served. People can be cruel and harsh toward us. So we must remind ourselves that we are in this to serve God. Boy, if I didn't get this straightened out in my life, I'd have been out of this thing a long time ago because I find out people are just mean, including myself. I am a people. Or is it persons? I realize now the new plural for, for, for person is persons, not people. You see that in the elevator where it says limit 15 persons, not people. Anyhow, it's supposed to be funny. Thank you for your solicited laughter. A couple weeks ago, I was teaching in my Sunday school class, and I was talking about Abraham and Lot. And I was teaching about Abraham and Lot, and as I was studying for the lesson that week, it dawned on me about something. But if you read about Abraham and Lot and all Lot did to follow Uncle Abraham, that when the herdsmen couldn't get along... The problem was not Abraham and Lot. The problem was the herdsmen. Lot's herdsmen and Abraham herdsmen, they couldn't get along. And, and as I was studying that week, this thought came to me. And the problem is, isn't it funny that the things that was none of their business is what caused Abraham and Lot to split? The herdsmen were trying to decide where was the best place to take care of our flock, take care of our herds, Lot asking the owners, who was Abraham and Lot, and they began fighting with each other. So, so, and that, listen, that decision was not the herdsmen business. Don't look down now, because I'm going to step on your toe. And what happens to churches, as Dustin talked about with unity last week, is this, is when you put your nose and things in the church, it's none of your business. Because then the leaders have to decide, what are we going to do about their herdsmen? They're quarreling with each other about things that are none of their business. I'm going to say that so you get the point tonight. And my class is saying, please go on. We heard this already. We don't hear it again. You're going to hear it again. But it's none of our business. And we've got to be careful about this. And what I said, listen, when you take the none of your business stuff off your shoulders, you'll be surprised how relieved you are in life because you're concerned and yapping about things that really aren't any of your business but you carry a shoulder a weight on your shoulders when you do that and you're, and you're weighing yourself down and you don't have to do that because it's none of your business I don't mean that in the, listen I understand it's your church I understand you give I understand you have a voice but, but you got to be careful how involved you get with those things I'll use a, a good example uh, uh, and I use this in, in, in my class uh, Barry, happy birthday. Barry is in charge of the music. I never have approached him, and he can testify, about what we do in the music program, what we should be singing, who should be singing, uh, how many songs should we sing, what's the order. You can ask him. He'll tell you. Why? Because it ain't none of my business. Well, you're in the choir. I'm in the choir. So I sing what the choir leader says we're going to sing. Right? 
He puts us on his schedule. My wife and I just sing, Russ to sing, whatever. I'm sorry about that when we sing. I'll, I'll apologize for that ahead of time. And uh, when we sing, but he puts us on his schedule. And I'll go, hey, listen, uh, uh, we don't want to we, we, we sing every week. We're, we, we're the best people in the church. We ought to be singing all the time. No. So what I do is I take the weight of the music area of our church off my shoulders and it stays on the person whose shoulders it belongs to. Then he and I don't quarrel about it. I don't quarrel with other choir members about it. Because, and I'm being very frank with this statement, because it's really none of my business. That's hard to live off, isn't it? But see, I'm not in this to serve you. I'm in this to serve God. And in serving God, I serve you. And then sometimes, and yeah, I got to hurry here, because I can see you're all just so excited about that point. You're just so happy about that point I made. But that's a pastor viewpoint. Am I, am I, am I wrong? I'll, I'll change. I'll apologize. I'll take it off. I'll scratch it. Now he's, he's saying yes, I think. I don't know. I can't read him sometimes. Anyhow, I'll just tease him. <laughs> Can you imagine what was going on in the mind of heart of, uh, of Noah as he preached for all those years and nobody responded? Listen, you've got to realize who we're serving. I preached, I don't know how many sermons. I One time I had to count up. It was 1,800-some sermons over the years. And then I was pastoring and uh, whatever, something like that. I, I counted them up. And uh, it's amazing how few responses I can count on my hands of people who really were serious about something for God in one of my messages. As a preacher, that is a little bit discouraging. But I'm not preaching for necessarily you. I'm preaching for God. Amen. I made my mind, I'm serving God. In serving God, I serve you. There's a verse that pastor likes to use, Joshua 24, 15, where it talks about uh, choose you this day, who are you going to serve? And Joshua says, for me and my house, we will serve the people. No, he said, we will serve the Lord. Sure. Again, I know serving people is, is serving God, but we've got to be careful how we don't let it get to us sometimes. There will be times when people will hurt you, yes. I, listen, I'll, I'll be honest. And don't, don't feel sorry for me whatsoever. But yes, I've been hurt by people. But I got over it. Because now I hate them. <laughs> no, I got over it because I realized I'm not serving them. I'm serving God. You got to make up your mind. Who you going to serve? Sometimes we, we feel that way because we feel like we've been abandoned by people. And people intentionally sometimes and people unintentionally sometimes will hurt you. I never, I never forget uh, uh, when I was pastoring our church there in the Pittsburgh area. The former pastor came in. I had him come back a few times. And we had a few special days and came back and, and honored him and his family. But his mom and dad stayed in the church. And uh, I don't want to get their names out. I think they've passed away by now, but he's still pastoring. But anyhow, they came back to church, and uh, something interesting happened in the church. He'd been there about 12 years, and uh, the church was basically just going downhill. Uh, when I got there, there was a, some financial issues, and, and they needed some money, and they were, some things were just wrong. Anyhow, it, it was in six months, and I'll say this, it was God and just a new person in charge. Changes things, okay? Barry Murray's nobody special. 
But in six months or so, uh, money was coming in, and well, people were coming to church. They were, new folks were coming in, old folks were coming back. All kind of things were happening there. Things were good. So the church decided. Cause I went there. I went there for a little bit of nothing with three kids. We went there, trusting God. But in six months, tickets were doing good, and the men got together and said, hey, we want to uh, bump your raise up. We know you're not getting paid very much. And they bumped the raise up, and the former pastor's dad was in the meeting, and he was not happy about that. And he said to me, well, they wouldn't take care of my son the way they're taking care of you. And I didn't want to say, that's because there was nothing here to take care of him with. But that would be mean and cruel, and I talked to him a little bit. So, it was, so when the pastor came back for a visit one time, I said, hey, your dad and I talked about this. And he said, he said you won't believe this. He said, Brother Barry, he said, when I left here, my dad, it's like a divorce to my dad. He felt like I divorced him and my mom when I left this church. They go pastor in their church. And they were still there. He was from the area. He was raised in the church, and his mom and dad had been there forever and a good Italian family from, from Pittsburgh. And, uh, uh, and he said, my dad just felt like he was divorced. That changed my, uh, my looking at his dad differently. His dad was hurt by the fact that his son had left. It wasn't me, even though I took it personally. His dad was hurt because of what the son did. And eventually they didn't move and followed him wherever he went, at whatever. But uh, uh, listen, so you've got to realize people are hurting for reasons you don't understand yet. When you understand them, you're going to feel very strange about yourself. We had a man in our church, I'll never forget this. I think I shared it with Pastor Dean a few weeks ago about this. We had a man in our church that probably one of the most godly men, lay men I've ever known. He didn't have a, 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 didn't have a car he lived in the city, and he rode one of our buses up and spent the day uh, at the church, stayed there all day, and one of the men would take him. And he, was, he would go to two or three nursing homes a week, preaching and teaching. The scores of elderly people saved in his ministry, and he would stay at the church all day. I'd come in the church in the afternoon to get ready for the evening service, and he'd be in, upstairs in the auditorium uh, reading his Bible. And he'd always have a question about the Bible. In fact, things I had to go study and look up real fast, I'd go back and answer them. And because uh, just very... very kind of intimidating to you about your spirituality, that kind of man. Well, I'll be quick about the story. He was going through some things. I didn't realize he had, he had a mental disease, and I totally believe in that, by the way. He became very paranoid, very paranoid. And I moved, we, we got we were able in the church to move him up by the church, get him out of the city, get him up to where we were at, had a place for one of our single men to stay there, got him another job at another bus company. He drove a, a school bus and I got him that job. And, but I noticed he was very paranoid and very uh, uh, scared. And he was even saying things that were just crazy talk about someone being there, trying to get him, whatever, and there's nobody there. And I'm very worried about that. Well, one day the, our boys and I, and I are out, I think we are out golfing maybe on a Monday, and my wife calls me on the phone and says, you need to get, you need to get home, because it was right across the street from our house. You need to get home. He said, uh, Bob committed suicide. Now, I'm going to tell you, I was shocked. I knew he had some issues. But, but he had shot himself in this young man's kitchen, the house he was running, and, and that was an issue there. We had to work with that house and other things. But I didn't know this until the funeral came. Of course, he was a longtime member of our church, saved and baptized there. His uh, uh, kids, his girls lived out of town. They had to come in town. And 
I didn't realize this till the day of the funeral, but the family was mad at me, and they were blaming me it was my fault because I didn't tell them about how their brother or how their dad was doing. Listen, when someone dies in the family, people look for somebody to blame. It's natural. But they blame the preacher. How could they blame me? They blame me. In fact, I didn't realize that day that he had a twin, bro- a twin brother. That was scary because I ran across him one day thinking it was him walking. And that was kind of scary. But he had a twin brother, and uh, he came to me, and he said, uh, he said, listen, i got to tell you this, Pastor Barry. He said, uh, I'll tell you this, but, but uh, I think John was his other brother. John and I were in your driveway that night. He died, and we were coming in to get you. And I said, why? He said, we blame you because you didn't tell us what was going on with our brother. And after the funeral was over, a sister lived in Michigan, and she wrote me a real hot letter in blaming me and just going tearing me up and down about how this is all my fault, blah, blah, blah. Then I find out that the one brother is on mental medication. The daughters have issues that are seeing doctors, psychiatrists afterwards. So they all know there's trouble in the family. And before, way before me, he was dealt with this with a, a, a psychiatrist, I think, was on some medication. He quit taking the medication. But you're looking for someone to blame, so be careful what you say in response. I could have, and I did take it personal because I was close to him and I did love him in, in the Lord. And we didn't have these issues, but you got to be careful. I didn't get in this to serve his family. I got in this to serve God. But down the road, I found out why they were thinking the way they were. Then two of them apologized to me and, and whatnot, whatever. But it was a little scary seeing his twin brother one day in the hospital. I was a little, little taken back there. But anyhow, listen, people are going to hurt you. But I got in this to serve God. I made up my mind. I'm serving God. And I could tell you story after story. I could go on. I won't tonight. Enough illustration. I'm going to jump over a few there. I've already written down here about some pastors I've talked to and tried to help out where I was at. I've been there a long time. I had a good-sized church, and pastors would call and tell me what was going on. I tried to help them out. It's just sad in the ministry sometimes how people treat their church and their preacher thinking he's perfect. But this world has got a grip on things today. We've got to be careful. I got in this to serve God. Amen. February 2001, two people who I followed passed away. The one you all know very well, Dale Earnhardt. <laughs> right? February, the first weekend of Daytona, he was killed in killed in the race, and I followed him. He was my kind of, he was my kind of racer. Not like today, but you know, that's to me. But he was my kind of racer. I followed him, and I, and I, and I, and I was, oh, wow, he got killed. And I, in fact, I was even watching that race in the afternoon when that happened. I was like, wow, I can't believe it happened. But the second person who died that same month was, if I would, if I had many heroes in the faith that I knew personally, and whether you think good or real about him, I, I really don't care what you think about it, but his name was Jack Howells. Because I knew him. There's been a bunch of garbage spread about him and lies about him that, that I would fight you tooth and nail over aren't true. My wife knew, knew his wife and, and family, and, I, and there's all kinds of things that are going on. I won't get into that at all. But he died that year. He was the founder of the college I graduated from. 
I was his, one of his body men for about three years. Ago. I was at the, at the church. It was so big and so many people trying to get to him. We had to kind of protect him from what was going on and protect him potentially from being uh, killed, being shot maybe. And, and I always told him, though, if they start shooting, Brother Howells, I'm going down. You're on your own. And he'd laugh about it and whatever. But anyhow, so I got to know him a little bit, whatever. But he passed away that year. I was already pastoring there in Pennsylvania. And we got the word. And Andrew and I uh, got someone to watch our kids. And we went out to, to Indiana to go to the, to the funeral and had two services with so many people coming. The, couldn't hold them all. So we had an outside the church uh, funeral on a Friday night. And his church people were there on Saturday morning. And uh, we went there. And, man, the place was packed. The place was packed out. I saw a friend of mine I was in college with, and he came over and he said, I, we, just, we were really honest about it. We were just struck, like, I can't believe this happened. He's only 74, but he burned himself out serving God. But uh, this, man, this friend of mine said, what are we going to do now? Brother Howells is gone. I looked at him and said, what do you mean? He said, he's gone. What are we going to do now? I said, well, I don't know who you serve, but I serve God. I didn't get in this for Jack Howells. I got in this for God. I didn't know Jack Howells. I came to college here, so I didn't get in it for him. I got in because God called me in the ministry. He said, I know, but what are we going to do now? I said, I'm serving God, just like this man trained me to do. You got to make up your mind because there are going to be things that will devastate you, and what are you going to do? I'm going to keep serving God no matter what goes on. Ezekiel, what kind of men are you? I'm just going to trust God and his word. I'm going to keep serving him. And lastly, quickly, we're out of here. I've made up my mind that when trouble comes, I'm sticking with Jesus. When trouble comes, I'm sticking with Jesus. Look, folks, trouble's coming. You serve Jesus long enough, something's going to come around the corner. But I decided, I made up my mind, I'm going to keep serving him because he's the one I'm going to live with in eternity. So I'm going to stick with him. I'm going to keep serving him. Uh, I'll tell you how Ezekiel, uh, uh, how he did right about his wife's situation. He said, I did it with Jesus, folks. We're going to keep serving. There may, uh, this may not seem to be normal. It may not seem to be average, but it's true. And when troubles are come and they're coming, I'm sticking with Jesus. Because I found out that most people I know sooner or later die and pass away, but he's still on the throne. And he's coming back to take me back one day to live with him forever. So I'm sticking with him. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. You can look for me somewhere up yonder beyond the blue. Amen. I'm out of here. I'm, I, so I'm sticking with him. I'm not sticking with some man. I'm not sticking with some human philosophy. I'm not sticking with some, some way of life because it seems to be all just deteriorating and falling apart. I'm sticking with Jesus. Amen. I made up my mind. Man, if, if, if uh, uh, the, the church falls apart, I'm sticking with Jesus. My life falls apart, I'm sticking with Jesus. Some tragedy happens in our family's life. I'm just sticking with Jesus. He's been good to me. I made up my mind. He knows what's best for me. He knows what's best for us and our family, and I want to stick with him. You live your life with him, and for him, you'll never be a loser. The world may win, but their time's coming. Yeah. 
Someday, he's coming. And I hope I'll be able to stick my tongue out at this world as I'm leaving <laughs> and say, goodbye, world, goodbye. But I got a feeling my eyes are going to be focused on him Amen. who I've been serving. Thank you, Lord, for the word of God this evening. Lord, thank you for a man like Ezekiel who we easily see in his life that he was a man who was, had some character, some discipline, a man who decided I'm going to make up my mind and this is what I'm doing and this is who I'm staying with. I'm going to stay with the word of God. I am not going to get distracted and let someone taint what I know to be the written, proven word of God. I'm sticking with God because I believe I know he knows what's best. I've made up my mind. He's who I'm staying with. And Lord, I've made up my mind that I'm also staying with Jesus. I want to keep on waiting for him, longing and looking for the day when he comes back to take us home. With our heads still bowed this morning, seeing maybe in just a moment of prayer. Have you made up your mind about those things? The word of God is as true as true as ever. Made up your mind you're going to keep serving God no matter what happens. Lose your wife, lose your, lose your child. Maybe even lose the ministry. You're going to keep serving him because of what he's done for you. How about making up your mind? I'm going to stick with Jesus, the author and the finisher of my faith. Thank you for listening today. If you'd like to know more about Central Baptist Church, events, and ministries, please visit our webpage at cbckannapolis.com.